everybody. I'm JJ Outlaw. And I'm T Outlaw. And you are listening to a new episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. You can follow me, JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober, on Twitter anytime at JJ Outlaw. You can also find me on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. And as always, I'm here, as I said earlier, with T Outlaw, my co host, Big Daddy, Dat Dude. All around big guy. <laughs> yes, that would be me, the hey. big guy. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Once again, I am T Outlaw. T O U T L A W. You can find me at that address on Twitter. <laughs> Allegedly, yes, I have a Twitter. And you can also find me on Instagram at T Outlaw Josie Wells, like the movie. We are on the Facebook. However, I do have to say that Facebook is not my favorite medium. <laughs> yeah, don't ask a lot of questions. Yes. Yeah, so um, I mainly do updates of, you know, new episodes and things like that. But if you're so inclined, you can find us at the Gourmet Goober blog on Facebook. You can always catch us at thegourmetgoober.com. That's where you can see old um, episodes of the show you can read old recipes, some of our old adventures when it was just a blog. Um, mm -hmm. You can always find it there. And then finally, you can catch us by dropping us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. So I am super, 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 super excited <laughs> because we have had a lot of cool things happen since the last time we recorded the show. Um, one thing is a collaboration, which I cannot wait to share with you guys. So once I get the go ahead, um, I will be tweeting it out and you'll be hearing it in a couple of weeks, but we're collaborating with a really cool, um, site that kind of shares our goals of, you know, calling attention to voices that are not always represented in the foodie community. So, so super psyched about that. and. Yeah, it's been kind of a mixed bag since we've been away. And I guess maybe we should start because whoever, you know, for those of you who heard the last podcast, you know that we actually included a segment before the start of the show um, where we address, where we record the Gourmet Goober podcast uh, on Saturdays, usually Fridays or Saturdays. Um, sometimes I tweet out to you guys right beforehand or post it on Instagram. Instagram right before we record. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, Sundays we use it primarily for editing so it can go out on Monday afternoons. And right as I started editing the podcast, unfortunately, I got that really horrible news um, about the passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and then the seven other passengers that was aboard um and helicopter flight that unfortunately went down over Calabasas, California. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so not to start the podcast off as a downer, but considering um, we start every podcast in a segment talking about how our week was, and particularly since, and I think I alluded to it on the show before, how Big Daddy in particular, without going into a lot of details, <laughs> but he works in sports media, Um so some of that kind of intersected our week and, you know, seeing, first of all, I, I was the one who told Big Daddy about what happened because I literally just dropped you off on the train ride into um, mm -hmm. the city mm -hmm. 
And I was on my way home and it just kind of popped in my timeline on social media. And first I saw that I was like, oh, that can't be right. What a horrible thing to do. Why would someone just tweet that? And then I realized that, oh my gosh, that's, that's really true. And I didn't want you to walk into work, mm -hmm. into the newsroom, not knowing that. So I texted you while you were just getting off on the train and just said, hey, look, I know this is a horrible thing to tell you via text, but Kobe Bryant is gone. And, and then not that long afterwards, and to make matters worse, his daughter was on the train or on, on the helicopter with him. And at that point, there was a lot of details that were coming out, but, you know, I didn't want you to walk into the newsroom unaware. Mm -hmm. And, and I only say this as we start out the segment one, we want to just, again, express our deepest condolences to the families who lost their, um, their loved ones in this tragedy, their friends and loved ones. Yes. But we were talking about how we were going to start the segment about how our week was, and it's kind of impossible to not include it simply because the effect as someone who works in sports media, how that affected your week. I'm just a guy that collects a paycheck, but I, like the gourmet goober did say, I just got on the train when I had heard the news uh, from the goober via text. And I was like, she said, I was a little thrown. I didn't quite believe that person. I actually did send a text to a colleague uh, and a friend in LA um, to get more information. And uh, this had not really taken flight in uh, even in LA, they were still trying to substantiate, you know, if this was a rumor or like how vivid, like, you know, these description were, but the thing was, yes, Inevitably, it was true, and it was found to be Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gianna, and seven other passengers on the flight in Calabasas um, that unfortunately um, went down. So, yeah, it was it was a shock to not only me, the goober, you know, the people around us, but also, you know, held the world. Right. And... Um, again, we, um, I, we want to start the segment as we always do, um, talking about how our week was. Um, but I just wanted to acknowledge it because again, since we always start the segment of how your week is, um, it was kind of interesting me watching you Okay. because obviously, you know, with what you do and supporting colleagues who either direct, you know, write about this or cover this or pick up stuff of the wire, you know, um, and then seeing your reaction as a journalist and wondering what's the best route to cover this, right? And seeing your colleagues deal with the best route on how to cover it. Because it's, it's always a tricky situation. And I can, I can appreciate it because I've never really talked about it, but Big Daddy and I, we we met in college. We both studied journalism. So I studied broadcast journalism and then he studied print journalism. And 
that was actually one of the ways that we really bonded when we met years ago. Um, we had an opportunity to just talk about integrity and, you know, what it takes to go through J school and um, how to deal with little children when <laughs> uh, burning is being played. <laughs> okay. I or the camera is rolling. I don't want to laugh. I don't, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. What he's referring to is, I'll, I'll talk about it one day. Let's just say I had a rather disastrous um, attempt to cover something on air that kind of got me out of journalism in part. <laughs> yes, when they tell you about dealing with children and pets. They truly, they truly mean that. But anyway, outside of that horrific experience that happened live on the air in front of everybody... <laughs> Yay me. Um, <laughs> it was it was interesting because, again, a lot of things that we talked about over the years, we got to see play in real time. And we had some really fruitful discussion over the past um, few weeks about your thoughts on, you know, how to cover such a tragedy in a way that's respectful to everybody. Mm -hmm. but still have the journalistic integrity that it's really important. And I say this because I know that, how would I put this? We live in a society that for various reasons, and we're not going to go into that. <clears throat> um, no, let's dig. <laughs> a lot of people don't really understand what it takes to be a journalist. I think now we live in an age where a lot of people go to, and call themselves journalists, but they don't come up through Jade School. Not to say that everyone has to, but having gone through that myself and Big Daddy, I have tremendous respect for the profession. And I understand some of the complexities that a lot of people looking in may not understand. And what makes a good journalist? And seeing, you know, having these discussions about, you know, how the sausage is made before, you know, the paper or the article goes out or and how you know, it's consumed and how it's consumed has really been interesting this week as we navigate how to pay tribute to someone who's met so much meant so much to so many, but at the same time do so in a way that, you know, honors the profession and making sure that you examine, you know, their impact both, positive and negative at all stages of their life. And sometimes it's really hard. And I know that, and I'll let you speak, but I, I know that there are certain things that you've observed and we had talked about that really kind of, you know, colored your week and how it went. Okay. I'll put it that way. I mean, or do we want to like tiptoe into this or do we want to rip the bandaid off? Well, I don't know. What do you feel comfortable in doing? <clears throat> okay. Here's my short synopsis. Okay. Kobe Bryant was an amazing person from what I read and what I've seen in my lifetime. Am I, have I ever met the man? No. Have I covered the man? I'm sure like I've written articles or read and edited articles that include uh, Bryant, the Lakers, and the overall NBA. That being said, yes, Kobe Bryant was an, an amazing player and 
even within the last few months after his retirement. And he's earned, from what I understand, an Oscar um, for his for his works. And also, he's done a great deal of many. He's had many accolades. We'll start with that. But I'm not going to try to, like, sensitize what it is because we're all human and we all went through a great tragedy. But none more than Kobe Bryant's wife, his daughters, his family, his friends, the Laker family, the NBA, and the world. That being said... And this is me being completely honest because I've had time to sit here and understand of what Miss, you know, the family and just everyone had to go through. There will be no good time to say that, okay, we can move on or go to handling things like on a regular day. So when all these things kind of come about, all you can do is do your best now. As the goober has alluded to, they are assisting about ethics and what we are supposed to do and what people believe we are supposed to do. And that being said, sometimes what we do is not fun. Sometimes what we do as journalists, and if you want to call me a journalist, fine. If you don't, that's your business too. Some of the things we do aren't here to make friends. But the thing is, yeah, we're supposed to do a job and we're supposed to do it with ethics, with concise belief that we have to handle things. But, yeah, we also have to handle it as humans. So if what we're asking ourselves is, you know, when is the right time to handle, like to do things or to ask questions it is always the right time to ask a question. But, yeah, you have to work a balancing act to figure out how this goes about. Now, are we going to say this is more about just handling the Kobe situation or is it about the situation that occurred recently with a Washington post writer and how she, um, put out statements or video that included Mr. Bryant's, uh, allegations within his life. That's one way. Or we can talk about what has recently happened with um, CBS uh, host, anchor, Gail King. We can handle it that way. I'm willing to say I can take uh, a beat on both acts. That being said, I also want to keep this short. So I'm just going to say like this. There's the word context. But that being said, did the Washington Post writer handle it the right way? I don't know. It could, it's a matter of judgment. Did the Washington Post itself as a company handle the situation correctly? I think so. Now, Gail King, who is, uh, has gotten very far and has done a great deal of things for the CBS network and overall in her journalistic career. This is, I'm just going to keep this as short as I can. By our own words, the, there are parts of her interview with WNBA star and overall large Olympic athlete, Lisa Leslie. There are elements that were like great in her overall interview with Miss Leslie. 
and there were an element by Miss King's illusion and her post later on that were taken out of context by her uh, staff and her um, company. That being said, for the people who would like to chastise Miss King, okay, cool. Chastise all you want. That's what we do. That's what the business is. You can chastise. You can disagree. You can say it's being too sensitive. Okay, so be it. That being said, for those who want to get on a damn high horse and act a damn fool and recommend that the things that Miss King did were being completely unfounded, unbased, for those who believe that you know Gail King as a journalist was doing the wrong thing, I'm just going to stand up for it and say this. She has a job to do, and she did her job. She asked Miss Lisa Leslie questions. Some of those questions may have been a bit insensitive, but she did ask those questions. And if Lisa Leslie decided that those questions were not the good time or a good place or the best rationale to answer, then that is between Miss King, Miss Leslie, and the people who did the article. That's it. Everyone else should get off the horse and leave it alone. Mourn how you want to mourn, but leave it alone. The threats that have been made against Miss King horrible. They are wrong. And for the people who describe themselves as real people, real patriots, those people are the people who are doing wrong. And that is all I'm going to say about that. Well, obviously, and again, we want to tread lightly because I know a lot of people, I can understand both sides of it. Okay. Having been someone who studied journalism and know the context of, because when you see the interview, the way it was edited and the way it was presented, her question was taken out of context. And when you see the interview, on one hand, I know people are like, why are you asking that? And I totally get that because it's still raw and it's got to be hard. For, it will always be raw. Right. But on the other hand, I'm and I'm just... Mm -hmm. we've talked about that before because obviously I don't work in journalists anymore, but having gone through the training and I've been very fortunate. I have trained through some of my professors have been like top notch, just like anchors on like major networks and things like that. I've been really blessed to get the education I did. So having gone through a lot of the ethics side of it, like you said before, I know this may sound unpleasant, but that's the part of the job. Yes. And mm -hmm. I and I worry in part, and I know you and I had talked about that in terms of like your colleagues and how you tread lightly and how you put the stories out and things like that, because of the fact that, you know, the fact that she's getting death threats, it's really, really hard because 
when you look at the broader scheme of things, because the advent of social media and everyone has access to you that didn't exist when we went to college a million years ago, um, it's a new world. And for someone who's training to go through the profession and wanted to do, you know, the work, you know, sometimes it's really a terrifying thing. And, you know, being someone who loves someone who works in the profession, it was kind of hard because this whole week you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, are you and your colleagues going to get in trouble for doing this or things like that? When can you touch upon it? And, and just having a sense of, like you said, you know, sometimes being in that profession, it's a, it's a thankless job. Let's just put it that way. Um, and again, that's not why I got out of it. I chose to get out of it because um, I saw some things um, that I felt that I was better suited in a different career, career path for me. But that said, um, it was the Barney uh, thing, wasn't it? <laughs> Shut up. I had to. I'm trying not to relive the Barney thing. Okay. I will share the Barney story at another time. Let's just say, all I'm going to say is Barney's a cult. Do not let your children play with Barney. <laughs> now we're Do gonna anything have, with Barney. <laughs> now we're going to have Barney coming after us. <laughs> you know what? I'm almost afraid of Barney because, I, like I said, Barney's a cult. Mm-hmm. Barney is a terrifying creature. <laughs> I got you all. Of course, didn't I? Yes, you did. Because that was... Okay. That was that was gut-wrenching. All right. I'm sure you guys are probably wondering, like, one minute we're talking about Kobe and next minute we're talking about Bernie. Okay. Long story short. Do you really and, want to tell the story right now? Or I'm just... You keep talking about the story. No, I, I told you. That's the nugget <laughs> that I want them to grab for. But if you want to tell it, fine. If you but, don't, okay. we can move on. Long story short, you know, our hearts go out to those who are suffering, um... We also want to give respect to those who have the difficult task of covering all aspects of an individual's life because that's their job. And I think we live in a culture, especially given the fact, I mean, even within the political arena where we see journalists get threatened for doing things, or you see it a lot. Like I used to do a lot more freelance writing than I do right now, given my current day job. And I know that there are certain gigs that I didn't accept when I was freelancing, not because I didn't want to write about the subjects, but because I've had fellow female writers who cover some of those industries yes. who got threatened for doing their job for no other reason than just being a woman. And unfortunately, with some of the misogynistic views that exists in some of these um, topics that were covered, they got they got questioned for their legitimacy on how dare you write about this, how dare you cover this, how dare you do these things. Well, let's get on the female tip, too, also. I work with women journalists, women anchors, women who are personalities uh, online, as you will, who get threatened almost on the daily right. for just doing their, their jobs. jobs. And so I don't think people really understand without being connected to those who are in the industry, how much this is like a daily thing. Mm -hmm. And 
So when he speaks passionately about it, it's just like he said, it's because it's something that he sees and it's disappointing because I assure you, when we went to college years ago, we were never taught about how to deal with like threats. So imagine going to your job every day and doing the stuff that's required of you and getting a death threat. So we're going to wrap this up and move on, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I'm glad that we had a chance to work it out in this space. Cause I knew it was something that it was enough where we were like, do we talk about it? Cause it really affected your week as people can hear. No, I admit I got flamed up about it. And the thing was, I mean, is it on the journalism tip? Yes. Is it on the personality tip? Yes. Is it on like, you no know, respect women one also respect women who have done their most to help you. But also, let's talk about the community, if we will. Yeah, Gail King is an African-American woman. Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant, African-American, you know, basketball player and young lady. That being said, and this is, I feel so horrible for what has happened not only to Kobe Bryant, but also Gianna, and like we said also, these seven other persons that were on the helicopter. But the thing is within the community, you know, we're here to, you know, we want to do the best job we can as African-American journalists. But that being said, there is a line between, yeah, we can help protect our people, but at a certain point we, there's a slippery slope and we can't just, you know, I don't see anybody losing their mind when the same Gail King was being an excellent journalist and handling the R. Kelly interviews. But now everyone's all up in a fence over a sensitive subject such as what happened with Mr. Bryant. And and I understand where you're going with that because a lot of the accusations have moved towards you shouldn't have asked that question to accusing her of being anti-black or going against community or things like that. And it's just like, no, that I haven't gone through that and taken the training and Mm. she did what we were trained to do. At least people in our generation were trained to do. So that's just what it is. Um, Mm. But we're going to move on. Um, Moving on. (laughs) You you know what? (laughs) You're still stuck on the Barney thing. Okay, I'm going to tell the Barney story. Okay. Because you kept bringing it up, and I don't know when I'll readdress it again. And considering the heavy subject we talked about, it would be kind of an interesting segue. So like I said, Big Daddy and I, we met, and we were studying. In school. In school, years ago. We met at um, college. I was studying broadcast journalism. He was studying print journalism. That's, you know, the little newspapers, the things that people allegedly read, (laughs) but may not read anymore. Exactly. (laughs) So, I I took a class in, like, what was it? Like, news production? It was was a class, and I got named head producer of a program that was supposed, it was a fundraiser that was aired during the local WPBS um, affiliate that was at our school. Mm -hmm. And what it was, if you've ever watched um, public broadcasting, you know, several times during the year, 
they have um, on-air fundraisers, you know, because it's viewer-supported um, materials, viewer-supported television. I'm going on my Brian Gumble tip now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So my part was I was able to convince them, our class, that we were going to produce student-run, a live-on-air Big Bird birthday party to air as live segments in between the recordings of Sesame Street they were playing. And I was so excited, right? Because it was my first big production and I was in charge and I was telling everyone what to do. And I had studied this for weeks and I petitioned to get into these classes early and I was going to just prove it, right? So I remember telling Big Daddy, like, okay, you're going to have to watch, right? You're going to have to watch. So you stayed home from class. So Mm -hmm. you watched... He watched all of this happen live, okay? So the day of, what happened was we had, like, children of the donors. <laughs> <laughs> children of the corn. Yeah, pretty much. So what we did was our biggest donors or their biggest donors, they brought their children and they were live on the air, right? So you would see, like, segments of Sesame Street, and then they would cut live on the air. And, you, and the whole idea was we were going to interview the kids and they're going to talk about how important Sesame Street was. And the kids were aged, like, I think the youngest were, like, three and the oldest were, like, six or seven. Oh, with runny noses. Oh, yeah. And their parents their were there. And it was. And then we were going to end by bringing a big birthday cake and celebrating Big Bird's birthday, right? Great. So, the day of it, we changed the studio into a giant life-size replica of Sesame Street. Um, I don't know how we did it, but we did. But then we also had like, you know, like different things like they were giant blocks and things like that. But the whole idea was we were going to replicate Sesame Street. And so keep in mind, this was back in the day. I won't say how far back in the day, but before camera phones and (laughs) production cameras were way smaller than they were now. They were these giant behemoth cameras, right? With this big, scary light that's perched on top. Um, so the kids, we gave them toys, we let them play. And then the idea is when it was time to cut to the segment, we would get B-roll and we would get shots of them playing. I always wondered, did you give them sugar? Not until later. Okay. So anyway, these kids acted like little angels before the segment cut. And then it was time to go live. The second the big scary red light went on, these kids saw it and they screamed like we were beating them with it and into their freaking lives. <laughs> and it was live on camera. <laughs> so one minute, if you can imagine, la la la, we're playing, we're coloring. All of a sudden the camera goes on screaming <laughs> if they were in the middle of a horror movie. <laughs> Mama! <laughs> so the parents looked at me like the hell you're blocking little Susie's time on TV. (laughs) Can you make her stop screaming? (laughs) And I'm like a 19 year old, 20 year old person. I don't know what to do. I don't know kids like that. So we tried everything. The camera would go off. They tried their tears. They go back to what they're doing. The camera goes on. Like, literally, like, the Blanda Splits Horror Show is, like, plowing all these children. With little green things coming out of their mouths <laughs> yes. and their, their heads were spinning around. It was terrible. 
So anyway, the professor looks at me like, you need to do something. He was like, so, so like Jim Brown. So what you going to do? Exactly. So one of the PBS um, volunteers who were there that day, they took pity on us. Mm-hmm. And they said, I know what to do. So she motions for me to follow her into the office. And in her office were these big boxes of Barney coloring books. I was like, the hell? We, we, we're live on the air. We, we're not showing stuff on Barney. She goes, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Help me carry this in. So we carried the coloring books. This is a true story, y'all. We carried the coloring books into um, this little section that we had set aside these tables that we were going to serve the kids the cake. The kids saw the Barney symbol on the side of the box. They then proceeded to get up and follow us into the room. The cameras go with us. Mm -hmm. We hand out the coloring books, and these kids are perfectly quiet. They walked into the room single file. Formation. Formation! They sat in those chairs, and they colored, and they didn't mind the cameras the rest of the way. They went all step for children on you. So, out of this experience, I learned three things. One, Jennifer was not made to be a television producer. That was the first and last time I ever did it. Mm. Two, it's really true what they say about working with children and animals. Do not do it if you have the chance, if you work live on the air. (laughs) But three, Bernie's a fucking cult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And from that day on, I tell everybody, don't let your children play with that. (laughs) I don't know what kind of hole that dinosaur had. I don't know what secret messages he pulled on camera. All I know is those children went from the stuff for children to marching single file and coloring for the rest of the, of the segment. And what made it so bad was Big Daddy would call station. <laughs> or afterwards, you're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to those kids? I'm doing nothing. <laughs> put a little, yeah, put a little something in their sippy cups, huh? <laughs> we gave them the cake. We gave them juice. They were fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is that is the story of my short-lived journalism career. <laughs> that was your little Barney story. And Barney's a cult. Barney's a cult. <laughs> I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So now that I've embarrassed myself telling that story, <laughs> my week outside of seeing through your eyes what you and your colleagues have been going through, my week actually has been pretty interesting. Um, Okay. I've been super busy at work. Um, I think I've been alluded to before there were some changes where I work. Um, So in between writing some grants, um, I've had an opportunity to interview my next boss, which was sort of an interesting thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully that went really well. You got the company some money. That's always good. (laughs) Yes, got the company some money. That's always really good. I also, uh, well, this was something that we both did. Um, there is a podcast that's called The Relationships Podcast with Claire. The Relationships. Which is actually a really fun podcast if you haven't already heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually contribute a segment to the podcast where it's going to be out in time for Valentine's Day, um, where we got a chance to talk about, you know, how we met and 
how long we've been together. So it was kind of fun taking a trip down memory lane. Um, it was a short segment. So I'll let you guys know when it's available and I'll tweet the link to it so you can listen to it. Um, working with Claire was really awesome. So I was really glad to have the opportunity to meet her through the podcasting while black, um, group on Facebook. I'll be sure to tell all my side chicks about that. <laughs> all of your side chicks. How many are there? So anyway, <laughs> that joke went two seconds too long. Yes, it did. <laughs> I'm like, dude. You, you've already outed me for the Varney story. Let's not talk about anything mm-hmm. else. <laughs> I know he's he's kidding, y'all. Um, that she knows. Yes, he's kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I also had, um, or rather, we also had an opportunity. I, I think I may have mentioned earlier in the show about someone that reached out to us for a collaboration and that was really a cool opportunity to have the conversation. And so we're just really excited for a chance to grow the podcast and introduce what we do to a whole new audience. So yay. We're going to do a smash up. We're going to do a remix. (laughs) We'll let you guys know more when we can release it, but it'll be very soon. And it's um, a site that I'm a huge fan of. And it's huge. We really enjoy um, the last thing that I was really thrilled with, with all the different changes this week, was the fact that the mass Singer is back! Woo-hoo! The Singer. <laughs> so, if you've listened to the podcast before... <laughs> I was awakened again. Look, I gave you a warning this time. Yeah, she gave me a warning. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's great. I'm going to go take a nap now. And just as I was just getting into my slumber, I woke up we and go. I was like, is the monster Shaka Khan? Shaka Shaka Khan. And you're like, what? Shaka Shaka Khan. And I'm like, this person's Shaka Khan, right? <laughs> you have to hear of this person's Shaka Khan. So yes, the Mass Singer is back. I'm really excited about it. They've had a couple episodes. And the really weird thing is I've guessed the two people that have already been unmasked um, so far. So um, we're not going to go into details a lot today because I realize not everyone has seen the first two episodes. The first episode was after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And then I think this Wednesday they had another episode. Yeah, we're not going to get into spoiler alerts yet, because <laughs> I'm not catching that, you know, that flame from people. <laughs> but um, that said, um, I, I think it's going to be a really good group of people. But I've determined that every year they have, like, that one, like, seriously, like, epic singer. Like, one, like, the first season, it was Gladys Knight. Last season, it was Patti LaBelle, and it just screamed Patti LaBelle. And then this person, this season, I think, what I will say is the person that I think I'm going to be, like, obsessed with until they unmask her is um, one of the characters um, portrayed as Little Miss Monster. Because I honestly think that's Shaka Khan. Because I love Shaka. I listen to Shaka all the time. Um, she has this song called I, Lo- I Love Myself. That's kind of like my personal mantra. I love my set. Okay. And and I bump that at least once a week. 
Just Becky Bump It is enough to make me wonder. <laughs> you know I love some Shaka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously, I cannot I cannot even quantify how many times I listen to I Feel For You and I'm Every Woman. Her shit is classic. It's just amazing. I'm but- every woman, Shaka. <laughs> but no, but- I, I tend to believe that, yeah, it's, it could be Shaka Khan, but ladies and gentlemen, if for some reason... It does not end up being Shaka Khan. Please send the Gorman Goober a tweet saying <laughs> you were incorrect. It was not Shaka Khan. You I'm not saying that it's not or is, but I. But we both know that I have been right over last season so far as far as who some of the mass singer characters were. And I'm sorry. Do you want a bozo button and a cookie? Why? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I don't have a bozo button, but I can go find a cookie. <laughs> um, and like I said, I. Okay, I can't really say I don't like reality shows because I've already been outed for my love of love and hip hop. Mm-hmm. But Miami, Atlanta, New York, L.A. No, 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 not L.A. Not L.A. No, not Hollywood. Okay, I can't get in Hollywood. I, I, I don't care about the. You know, the funny thing was, I didn't know there was a love and hip hop Hollywood. Yes, there's a love because Ray J's on it. <laughs> so anyway, now that I've <laughs> perplexed my husband, um, but no, part of the fun of the mass senior is the guessing, and I'm really good at the guessing. Um, so the first couple of people that were um revealed, I knew who they were right away. So yay me. Um, they're gonna be rolling out some other characters. So I was just thinking sometime soon. Um, we it might be fun for us to kind of like do another segment like we did before, where we kind of go over our guesses for all of the characters once they've been revealed. Once I will always, once again, I will always be wrong, but I will take a stab at it. I'm, I'm willing to go through it one, but two. Before we you know move this forward, I will once again like to appeal to the nice people at the Mass Singer. If you want to really have fun with this, hey, I would like to invite Tracy Ellis Ross. To be one of the contestants on The Mass Singer and see how she does. But at the same time, go for the home run and see if you can get the great boss, Miss Ross. <laughs> that being Diana Ross. Oh. To also compete just okay. to see if people would be able to pick the two apart. You honestly think that Diana Ross is going to appear on some stage wearing an outfit? Like... Yes, really? at the same, I think it would be interesting. One, but two, Ooh, as you have just illustrated, <laughs> you have had some really huge singers, such as a Miss Glass Knight and a Miss Patty LaBelle. Yeah, I'm willing. And now, if you believe Shotgun, yes, um, yeah, why not? I, I'm I'm willing to bet that there are certain things that the oh, oh so glamorous Diana Ross will not do, or Miss Ross. I think and, she would and, do it just to spite Patty. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Just see if she can one-up her. Because I would like to believe Miss Ross, if they can make it worth her while, if she's in it to win it, I think that she would come on just to see if she would. Hell, my, you know what? Let's go for the home run. Let's get Diana Ross and just tell Diana Ross that if she comes on, that she can compete against Tina Turner. Boom. Okay. There it is. Let's get Tina Turner in this bad boy. Well, first of all, I would give my left arm to see Tina Turner perform again because the only person I love more than Shaka is Tina Turner. 
Yeah, we need a little nutbush Tennessee. Miss Tina is everything. And <laughs> I'm so sad that I missed the chance to see her perform before she retired. But I don't know. I don't, I'm not. That'd be a good way for her to come out of retirement. I, I would imagine you would see Miss Tina before you see um, Diana Ross. Okay. I'm going to see. But I, I definitely want that combo. Please. For the people who are listening to the Mass Singer <laughs> or watching the Mass Singer, whatever, uh, hook that up. But also, let me just say, Miss Tina Turner's living in a castle in Germany, married to a much younger, like, guy. So, or no, Austria. She's living her best life living in a castle somewhere with a younger lover. So, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> hey. Good for her. <laughs> she got, that means she's got time on her hands. <laughs> and they were able to dig up Seal's ass so, to do this. So, thus, <laughs> why not? Anyway, we're just going to that. But all in all, it was a great week. Um, we're excited to be back, despite some of the, you know, sad and disappointing news. Um, as always, we're really glad to talk to you guys again. So we're going to take a quick break and shift gears and talk about some really cool things, including the NBA All-Star Game is coming to our backyard in Chi-Town. Woo-hoo! So when we return, we're going to give you kind of a crash course on the foodie side of Chicago for all of you guys who are coming. Or at least took a stab at it. <laughs> and and t- until we return, you're listening to The Gourmet Goober. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I'm JJ Outlaw, better known as The Gourmet Goober, and I'm here to share this great new recipe journal from author Gaby Lorano. It's a progressive cooking journal designed for short and simple recipes at the beginning before advancing with spaces for longer recipes as you go. It's colorful, fun, fits easily in the kitchen drawer, and it's perfect for any home cook. Best of all, it has over 100 pages for your most beloved culinary delights. Be sure to get your copy today at Amazon.com. Everybody, this is JJ Outlaw, and we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast. As always, I am here with my co-host, my BFF, my hubby, that dude, T Outlaw. That'd be me. And we are in this pop culture segment that we call What's Eating Us. That's the portion of the podcast where we share our thoughts on the intersection of foodie and pop culture as it takes place um, during the week. And since our last broadcast, there's a couple things that came up that we thought was really, really cool. Um, one is you probably have heard um, Beyonce rolling out her new collaboration with Adidas and her F leisure line called Ivy Park. It's like a um, set of clothing line that had everything from like hats to hoodies to um leggings and everything in between um she actually decided to roll this out by having a really big um deal where she said some of her famous friends like um um kelly Rowland and um i i think michelle from destiny's child destiny's child i think sierra got one too Mm -hmm. um reese ritherspoon very cutely um she got one and shared it on social media um, there was this huge, like, orange um, thing, and I had to stop saying, oh, why am I saying I'm soft? <laughs> but 
But there was like this huge orange box that all of them got and they were able to open up and share the designs. Um, just introducing it. <laughs> it's late. Um, introducing uh, the clothing line to everyone. I'm about to say, did uh, Cardi B get one? Actually, you know what? I think Cardi B did get one. Okay. Which is awesome. Well, it was very, very popular. And as a result, they sold out in a matter of days. But if you didn't get your own Beyonce version of Ivy Park, mm -hmm. you had your chance to get your own duplicate courtesy of Popeyes. <laughs> Wait a Popeyes referring to the chicken. The chicken. <laughs> the thing we talk about almost every podcast. You know, I was just thinking that. How often have we talked about Popeyes? Do you know why? Because Popeyes is slaying the pop culture game. Yeah, basically, Popeyes is like, we're going to get on every, we're going to be in everybody's DMs. Like, Popeyes will literally be around. They are like always saying, hey, 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 how can we stay relevant and be sly about it? That's Popeyes. Well, their answer to that is they looked at Ivy Park and they didn't do what most of us asked. Like, hey, where's our orange box? No, they took a look at it and they're like, hmm, when Pop Beyonce's collection came out, we lot saw lots of people who said, hey, it kind of looked like ours. At mm -hmm. least that's what their chief marketing officer, Fernando Mortado, told the Wall Street Journal in late January. So as it turned out, the color scheme, the maroon and orange hues of the Ivy Park um, athletic pants and biker shorts and hoodies, etc., it almost looked like a dead ringer for like Popeye's gear. Mm -hmm. So very wisely, they decided, hey, how can we get some of this bread? <laughs> so Popeye's came out with their own limited edition uniform line. So you too can look like Beyonce, who apparently looks like she worked at Popeye's. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> but no, it's actually pretty smart. So you could have gone to, and I think everything is sold out, but you can actually go to the website. It's that look from Popeye's and you could check it out, but they had hoodies, they had hats, they had um, oversized tunics. And the hilarious thing is the way that they designed it and the way they sold that website, it was almost, um, it looked like it was an extension of the Ivy Park line, basically. Okay. Hmm. I mean, even in terms of how they styled it and how the, the models pose. And I was just thinking, tag, that is the most brilliant form of marketing ever. I'll give them that. <laughs> they were making money moves with this. This definitely looks Ivy Park-like. The internet went wild. Um, the Popeye's collection, which was made available to the public they actually sold out believe it or not in a matter of hours um for some of their clothing with the rest of it going out in the day the good thing is the proceeds of all the sales of the clothing went to charity and so it was a brilliant way to kind of raise money for a good cause through the popeyes foundation that they have but at the same time it kind of makes you wonder first of all did you think it was a coincidence that beyonce's clothing line mysteriously had the same colors as Popeye's? No. I mean, Popeye's looks like Popeye's, but at the same time, I think Ivy Park was taken off of uh, a, a like a combination of, as you would say, a, like some of the colors from HBCU um, 
color schemes are, you know, like their mascot colors. And the other thing to think about is remember Beyonce also has like a lifetime supply of, of Popeye's chicken. She famously told Oprah several years ago that she has like, apparently there's like this Popeye's like black heart that you can get. A Popeye's black heart. <laughs> So anytime you a go Popeyes to Popeye's, you can whip it out and get free chicken. She said she's embarrassed to use it, although I don't think that's true. Because honestly, who has like a lifetime of Popeye's chicken and don't use the cart? Chicken Annie. <laughs> well, that's true. I, I think she's probably tired of it. She's like, okay, I'm going to KFC. I'm not carrying this you know, Popeye's <laughs> car with me. Well, First of all, I don't think Chicken Annie can walk into KFC even she wanted to. That's true. <laughs> can you imagine sneaking into KFC where everyone knows you're the mascot for Popeyes? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she'll walk into Popeyes and be like, listen, I've had enough chicken for this year. <laughs> I'm going to need a little, uh, little something to the side. Yeah. She'll I have like she'll. a little scarf on, you mm-hmm. know, have her head down. Shh, don't tell anybody. Give me the Colonel Sanders sandwich. <laughs> Yeah, and if you can, help me find the uh, the other 11 herbs and spices. The ones that's missing. Yeah, the ones that no one has ever found. Yeah, those people. But yeah, I'm intrigued by, yes, Beyonce having a Popeye's black card. I'm about to say, so, wait a minute. But Would you the have thoughts on who really uses the card, though. Yes. You I, think it's her father. Yeah, I believe it's, it's Matthew Knowles that's secretly using this card. <laughs> He's secretly walking up into certain Popeye's restaurants and ordering, like, the 20 stack with, like, you know, the extra chicken sandwiches and a couple things of biscuits. And the cashier walks up and is like, and how will you be paying for that, sir? <laughs> My, My God. <laughs> and he's like, uh, sir, this, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this, this is says Beyonce Knowles Carter. Excuse me. Let me get my ID out. <laughs> my other card. Yes. <laughs> the the one that shows version. that I'm her father. <laughs> yes. I have a couple pictures <laughs> of me with my daughter, Beyonce Knowles Carter. See, this is I. I am grandpa. This is a, These are pictures with me with some of my grandchildren. Little Blue. Little Blue Ivy. And I believe this one. Here's one with me and Rumor. And this one with me and Sir. And, um, yeah, I think I'll be taking my Popeyes now. Yes, Matthew Knowles is the one. He's the one that's holding up, you know, he's he's got the black card. <laughs> and he is very well damn using it. Well, it's interesting. She's actually had this card um, since, I think, 2003. It's when, when she told Oprah. And she said, yeah, back in 2003, she was on the Oprah Winfrey show. She said, I really love Popeyes. I can't really eat it anymore. But at some point, everywhere I went, people would buy me Popeyes, like the fans. And Popeyes heard, so they gave me a lifetime membership. And every time every time I go, I can pull out the card and get as much Popeyes as I want. Um, I'm not even sure if I could be trusted with a lifetime supply of Popeyes. Now I'm intrigued by something. What? Are we sure it's Matthew Knowles that has the black card on? I'm thinking Oprah might have it. <laughs> Oprah has her own unlimited Popeyes. Oh, she has her own. Does she have a Popeyes in her house? Okay, first of all, how could Oprah not have an unlimited Popeyes card? She's Oprah. I don't know. She I'm probably sure has she unlimited, like Starbucks, Popeyes, which is hilarious because she's a billionaire. So technically, she could buy all of those Popeyes and 
Starbucks she wants. But deep down, you know that she probably has it. Well, I'm sure she doesn't have, like, you know, some kind of hookup from the Texas, you know, cattle people. Um, no, probably not. She ain't not. getting, like, burgers, <laughs> so, like, you know, from Whataburger, but... Probably not. <laughs> no, but I'm sure, we don't know, Oprah might have her own little hookup. Maybe, maybe that's how, you know, how her and Gail are, like, you know, you know, giving reputations to all those people that are, like, hating them. That's just me saying it, but yeah. Beyonce knows, black card. <laughs> Matthew knows, hmm. <laughs> well, going back to the Popeye's clothing. First of all, kudos to Popeye's for coming up with such a brilliant marketing campaign yet again. Although, I gotta ask you, for those people who actually bought it, do you think that they bought it and tried to pass it off as Ivy Park gear because it looks so much like Ivy Park? Or do you think that they will proudly rock the Popeye's gear? And if so, I mean, I've never thought about going out wearing someone's uniform. That would be kind of weird, right? I mean, if you go into the Popeye's wearing the Popeye's gear, would they mistake you for an employee and put you to work? Yeah, that would be interesting. At the same time, you basically are dressing up to look like a Popeye's employee, whether or not you're wearing Beyonce's gear or not. But then, of course, if you're a Popeye's employee, what keeps you from saying that, hey, I could sell my own gear oh my passing God. off as Ivy Park? That's true. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that would be brilliant. I Can you imagine? What happened to, <laughs> wait, what happened to your uh, outfit? Um, I lost it. Meanwhile, it's on eBay. <laughs> yeah. Like, professional Ivy gear. Ivy you know, gear, I man. can't even lie because I would do that. <laughs> every college student, every college student that works at Popeye's down at ATL. They have lost their gear this week. They're going to be like, why is it that Miguel has sold? Where is all of his uniforms? I just don't understand. Mm -hmm. This is the third one we gave you this week. Uh, It got damaged in the wash. Miguel, is that a new Porsche outside? No. (laughs) Miguel, are you the one holding a black car? (laughs) Miguel has sold it on eBay Mm -hmm. for like three times its value. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) <laughs> Little Juanita has done it. He is slick. <laughs> and like I said, I laugh, but I probably would do it at least once until they caught on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody's selling their uniforms left and right, <laughs> scratching off like, you know, the little emblem of Popeyes. We're going to put, they're going to scratch it like, you know, when Korea, I be park. My other question is, do you think that this will lead to a trend? And, and like, what other restaurant gear, fast food gear, would you want to wear? <laughs> um, <laughs> Clearly not McDonald's. I don't think I want to dress. No, I don't want to be, like, rocking the McDonald's. Gear. I'm like, I don't think there's really anything, like, great. Like, the closest thing, let me think. Oh, uh, Wendy's? No. Um, I don't know. Steak and Shake? No. Uh, oh, you know what? I... Remember the steak and shake, like the cool hats they used to have? Those I, things were never cool. Okay, I wanted the hat when I was a kid. I thought mm-hmm. they were neat. Oh, wait a minute. Burger King, that way you get to have a crown. But you could get a crown now. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I admit, I've actually taken the crown. That's right. You have <laughs> absconded with cr- the crown. Look. Taking it from want... little children's heads. That's I don't you. take it off the little kid's head, but I've shamelessly... Without shame, rather, um, ask for the crown sometimes when I place an order. Because, you know, I'm extra, and sometimes I want to eat my Burger King wearing a crown. 
Actually, you know what gear that I would want? Never Honestly, mind. you... Okay, we're like hella old, you guys. So you remember back in the day, KFC used to have those striped uniform dresses. They're like red and white stripes. I would wear that. That would be hella cute. Who are you? <laughs> where, where did this come from? Seriously, if they sold it, I would buy it. These things are ugly. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> but then again, I have weird tastes. We've often, Big Daddy and I have often have conversations over the fact that I kind of secretly want an old um, station wagon because I think they look adorable. Wait a minute, not only a station wagon, a station wagon with wood paneling. Yes! Those are funny! Uh, those are so great. I wish they should make those again and I'd buy one. Let's hold. <laughs> let's, let's have a prayer for, for the goober. I'm a strange cat. I admit that. Mm. So anyway, again, kudos to Popeye's Chicken for come up with the perfect pop culture launch for 2020 and getting us all to buy their uniforms. That's just next level wickedly smart. <laughs> they are, they are quick on the hand. And KFC, if you ever come back with those striped uniforms again, I would totally buy the dress. Only you. Just saying. <laughs> you know, the other thing that took over pop culture this week, very briefly, before we get to the all-star game and hitting Chicago is that you may have seen that there were um, a kind of a fun Twitter war that took place involving Coke, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, and Dr. Pepper, all for good measure. Really? Yeah, there was a conversation that took place earlier this week where everyone was talking about essentially what is the who makes the best cherry drink. The and, best cherry drink. Yes, so in terms of if and a cherry soda throwdown between Cherry Coke and Dr. Pepper, which is odd because I don't really think of Dr. Pepper as a cherry flavored drink. Mm. Not really. Okay. Um, Coke or no, what was it? Pepsi Wild Cherry. And then the other choice was Mountain Dew. Red, Red. Red, yeah. Which, I'm sorry, Mountain Dew Co-Red, it's, you can't really taste it as cherry. It's just basically sugar water. That's, that's right. It's super, that's like, super spiced sugar water. <laughs> it's carbonated sugar water. <laughs> it's like jolt water on bad attitude. Oh, my God. Remember jolt? I do. And do I they never still want to think of I hope not. <laughs> they probably do. But I'm sorry. I, I, I can't get down with that stuff. Goat Cola, for those of you who are millennials who've never had the joy and pleasure of trying it, it was actually something that was released back in the day in like the late 80s, early 90s, where basically they proudly advertised themselves as twice the sugar and three times the caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough, people didn't want to like have uncontrollable jitters in the middle of class in their work um, environment. So they can... And constant <laughs> bathroom bricks. Yes, yeah, so they eventually discontinued it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a bit much. Yeah, that predated the Red Bull um, energy jinx that exists now. Which kind of makes you wonder, first of all, who the hell approved Jolt Cola? 
But then second of all, going back to like the cherry soda throwdown, mm-hmm. who do you think is the best one? Who do I think is the best one? Oh goodness. I can you if tell I would the take difference? a yes, I can tell the difference between the different sodas. That being said, okay. I won't exclude so much like the Mountain Dew version because I've never had it. I'm not a Mountain Dew person. I don't think my kidneys can take it. Um, but that being said, yes, I have I'm on more than one occasion, actually more than a few occasions, been inside a grocery store and picked up the cherry from both Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They're wild cherries, you will. And I'm willing to say with me personally, as much as I like wild cherry, and actually as much as I love Pepsi over Coke, weirdly enough, I would actually say that the Coca-Cola version of their cherry drink is actually more conducive to me personally. It just has, it's not as jacked up or artificial as you will as the wild cherry than Pepsi. Hmm. Well, if I had to choose between all of them, you know, that's a hard decision because I'll be honest, I don't really like a lot of cherry related soda. In fact, my choice is actually one that a lot of people don't know about. And you've seen me um, gravitate to it whenever I see it in store. It's actually a soda that you can't get outside of the South in most cases. Mm-hmm. It's a soda called Cheer Wine. Which is weird because there's no wine in it. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, it actually is a soda that was started in North Carolina. You can mainly find it there. But seriously, if you like cheer wine, I think most of the reason why I don't like cherry soda is, you know, kind of it has like that medicinal aftertaste that because, you know, it's almost like an artificial um, flavoring that they add to it. But no, cheer wine tastes like real black cherries. They are amazing. Um, and it, they are kind of an interesting brand. In fact, I don't know if you know this. I read this recently about them when I was having a hankering for it. And I was trying to find online where I can find some. <laughs> but um, apparently, Cheerwine has the distinction of being one of the oldest, um, I think, family-owned soft drinks in the country. Really? Yes. Yeah, so it's the oldest continuously operated family-owned soft drink. They were started by the Caroline Beverage Company and the Cheerline Bottling Company, which is still owned by the family of L.D. Peelers. So the Patriarch, it started back in 1917. So it's been around for over 100 years, believe hmm. it or not. Okay. And when the Patriarch passed in 1931, his son took over. And today, his grandson and great-grandson run the company. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. But yeah. Um, it's, if you guys have a chance to get your hands on some, they are hella good, but it's hard to find up North. Um, they're mostly like a Southern, um, drink. In fact, I used to, I, I was familiar with cheer wine when we used to take road trips from um, Indiana to Mississippi to visit my family. And we would sometimes drive down South and we spent some time down there occasionally you could get a cheer wine um but again they're mainly known in north carolina however if there is a um, world market near you you can actually grab your own cheer wine 
But seriously, it still only comes in bottles. You can't find any cans. And it's literally like drinking black cherry. It's, it's delish. I like. I'm also, uh, <laughs> I, I admit, one of the things, I don't think they label it as a soda. But, of course, I mentioned to you one of the big things I was a big fan of, like, yesteryear was the clearly Canadian cherry. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about clearly Canadian. That stuff is amazing. Yeah. That was me hunting all over Canada for clearly Canadian <laughs> that you could get in the U.S. That was kind of funny because clearly Canadian is actually just come back. That's another big drink that was big in the 90s. You can actually find it if there's a local Myers near you. You can find it there. Um, but yeah, when we went to Canada a couple, well, no, was it a couple years ago? No, it's a year ago. No, we'll say a year and a half. Yeah, we spent our vacation in um, Toronto, which we absolutely loved. I can't wait to go back to Toronto. I love the area. Hi, all my listeners, all of our listeners in Canada. Um, but yeah, when we were there, it was actually kind of funny. We were on the lookout for Clearly Canadian. Couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> and then when we came back over the border, oh yeah, we have it totally restocked here in, in Meyer. Help yourself. There's like a big section of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Damn it. Even though it was like all over. It's in Vancouver. It ain't nowhere else in Canada. Or at least I couldn't find it because I didn't have enough time. No, we looked. Didn't we? We went to several stores. We did. We still couldn't find it because, well, we're not Canadian, so. <laughs> well, we're going back, so maybe we can do a hunt for there. Okay. When we're not stopping at Tim Hortons. <laughs> Laughing at the iced coffee. Mm, milk. No, the iced coffee was amazing at Tim Hortons. I just wasn't prepared for the milk. <laughs> milk, 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 milk. So, last thing that we wanted to talk about in the bulk of our segment is the really cool thing that's happening in our backyard. And we talked about it before in previous podcasts. But next week is the NBA All-Star Game. And it's coming to Chicago. Welcome to Chi-Town. So for all of you out there who are listening, who are making your way to Chicago in order to see the games, first of all, if you're the Rising Star Games, know that we will be amongst the thousands of fans that are going to be in the stadium cheering on Luka Doncic and the rest of um these rookies and the sophomores that they play each other. So, so super psyched about that. Mm -hmm. um, you were telling me something really cool that you learned about the uniforms. Oh, the NBA decided to have a little fun and they actually reached back to, well, they got, they went to the, the big dogs and it was actually the Nike brand of, you know, Jordan, you know, the great statue of Jordan. <clears throat> the Jordan brand is sponsoring the NBA All-Star uniforms throughout the entire weekend this year. Okay. And what they're going to do is, and this is still contingent upon their dedications to Kobe Bryant with what they're going to do throughout the weekend, but also they all the uniforms during the All-Star weekend are allegedly reflective of the eight Chicago transit lines. Which is so cool because if you've ever spent time in Chicago, yes, you can drive, but anyone worth their salt knows that the real way to get around like a Chicagoan is to take public transportation. And the L lines are so synonymous to our way of life here. Um, 
it's just kind of cool that they're kind of like homage to this in the uniform designs. Yeah. So what will happen is that the actual NBA All-Star game, All-Stars, which will occur on Sunday, will be wearing Chicago-tized red and blue uniforms that are reflective of not only the city flag of Chicago, but also um, all the other transit lines, like all of the eight lines together. That being said, but also during, let's say, the rookie stars, I'm sorry, the rookie uh, rising stars game, there will be a reflective image of, I believe it's the green, I'm sorry, the purple and orange lines. Oh, that's cool. There will also be a another game, which is a celebrity game, which is going on like a couple hours before that, which I believe will have their own, I, I believe it's green and pink. But along with that, there's also a charity game that involves the Special Olympics, which will have uh, reflections of, I believe, the brown line. Um, it'll be like the unified basketball game. But yeah, there are eight lines, transit lines, as you will, L, L lines, the elevated, that are in Chicago. And all eight lines will be reflected during All-Star Weekend. Well, I got to say, first of all, I'm actually really kind of jazzed that they did that. That's really cool. Um, incorporating a lot of things that are iconic to the city of Chicago and everything from the design to their uniforms to, you know, paying homage to the Bulls and some of the things they're going to be doing from the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, as someone who deeply loves the city of Chicago and consider it home, um, I'm really super excited to see that. Um, I think the other thing that's just really kind of cool is I know that the All-Star game, and I think we maybe touched upon it in the previous podcast, has always been kind of an important thing for us um, because of the fact that even within our relationship, basketball has always been like a big thing. Our very first time that we met, we actually got into an argument over basketball, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, our first date was actually the night of the 1996 NBA All-Star Game, where we went out. Yeah. It was 96? Okay. Yeah, it was 96, because it was not that long before we graduated, when we went out on our first real date. And the only reason why I agreed, in part, to go out on a date with Big Daddy was he actually recorded the dunk contest. <laughs> yes. So we went out on our date, and then we came back, and we watched the dunk contest together. <laughs> Which was actually right around, yeah, Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was, actually. So the fact that our very first date was on Valentine's Day um, during the All-Star Game, and then we, we're we actually going to the Ricey Star, and we're going to check out some of the events. It's really, really cool. It's because it's kind of like been, you know, something that I personally have always dreamt of seeing live. Um, sadly, we wanted to get tickets to the All-Star Game, into the um, the yeah, All Star Saturday, Saturday night, but unfortunately, the fact that tickets were ungodly expensive, we weren't able to do it. However, that said, next year the All Stars game is in Indy, so I always already told my family who are all in Indiana 
um, Indianapolis, make room in your apartment or your condo because we will be crashing and hanging out there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be getting the Naptown hookup. We will find a way to get into that game one way or another. Yes. So anyway, what we thought it might be a cool thing to do is for those of you who are coming into the Chicagoland area and who may not be familiar with Chicago, yes, you can go to Garrett's Popcorn and everyone's going to send you um, to get like a deep dish pizza. But if you really want to enjoy Chicago and the foodie way, we're going to give you the ins and outs of places you need to go in order to eat like a Chicagoan while you're here for the All-Star game. Okay. So we picked out some places that we thought they would be really, really awesome for people to check out. So I know one of the places that Big Daddy we had talked about sharing was the best place in Chicago to get a burger. Because, like I said, yes, you could get Italian beef sandwich. You can get some of the food that's iconic to the city. But if you really just want to go basic and get a not-so-basic burger... The best place to go is Kuma's Corner. Yes. So Kuma's Corner, if you're not familiar, is actually this really kick-ass place. Um, they All of their burgers are actually named after heavy metal bands, which is awesome as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there are two Kuma's restaurants. Um, there's one in, what, what? There's one in Westloop? There's, yes, the second one is in Westloop. I think the first one is Near Lincoln Park. Yes. If you really want to have a true Chicago experience, then you want to go to the one that's on Lincoln Park. That's the one in Belmont Avenue. Now, let me just set the scene. It's like this little restaurant. You're going to stand in line. I don't care if it's snowing. I don't care if it's raining. They don't give a crap. There's only one way in and one way out. So be prepared to wait. (laughs) Yeah, check your ego at the door, first and foremost. Definitely check your ego at the door. But... The good thing is, if you make your way into Kuma's, you will be treated to the best damn burger that you've ever had in your entire life. The gourmet goober will attest to that. Oh my god. Back when I used to do the blogs and I would do food reviews, after after trying the Kuma's burger, I told Big Daddy I will never review food again when it comes to burgers. I'm done. (laughs) Literally, I was just going to write, this food is the shit. It just be done. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, clearly, you maybe your sponsors would like you to write something a little bit more than that. <laughs> no, she was good with just that. <laughs> because, honestly, they have the best burgers on earth. Seriously, the best burgers anywhere. So if you go, they um, just be prepared. There's loud rock music. Um, the day that we went, there's actually screens where they were playing movies they played one of my favorite movies of all time army of darkness so i got to make a fool of myself and say hell to the king to the server because that's what you say um but yeah if you go try the famous kuma burger it is absolutely amazing i also recommend the black sabbath burger and that burger comes with chili pepper jack red onions and blackening salts um they're high on fire if you want something a little different it actually has sriracha, red pepper, prosciutto, grilled pineapple, and a red chili paste. But seriously, you can't go wrong with any of the burgers that they have here. So definitely Coomer's Coners is what we recommend. 
Yes. <clears throat> now, for the best late night food experience in Chicago, we would recommend the Wiener Circle. The Wiener Circle. <laughs> Trust me. It's uh, an experience. We're, we're just going to say it off the top. And if you're not familiar with the Wiener Circle, God, how can we describe why you go to the Wiener Circle? The experience. They have probably the best char dogs and the best um, char burgers that you'll ever have. So, again, go to Coomer's if you want the overall experience. But if you're late night, you're hungry, you can't get into Kenny's famous... Um, Kenny? Kenny Smith um, from TNT. T. And it's every year Kenny Smith from TNT holds this epic NBA all-star party that I've dreamt to get into and clearly you have to know somebody to know somebody that knows somebody that knows know somebody to get in. <laughs> so since you're the gourmet goober, um Kenny, uh Kenna, <laughs> if you like to invite us, uh we, we will definitely come. We will definitely be there if you want to invite us. Unless, you know, if Shaq or Charles, that being me, do not show <laughs> up, you can definitely invite us. We will be there. And I promise he'll do the impression of Charles Berkeley. Horribly. Because <laughs> it's just, it's, it's terrible. But anyway, the Wiener Circle is world-renowned for two things. One, it's incredible food. <laughs> but let's face it, you go to the Wiener Circle for the attitude. <laughs> and you will get a pound of it. Yes. So, I'm not, we're not going to embellish or go any further. Um, in fact, the least you know about the Wiener Circle, the absolute better. Just know, go there. Know right before you get there what, what you're, you're going, going to order. order. <laughs> yeah. That is the key to everything. And keep know, it moving. Know ahead of time what you're going to order. Be sure that you're sober when you go. And this is important because if you're not sober, you're going to have a totally different experience. But if you're sober, know what you want to order and then sit back and watch everybody else. And that's all we're going to say. Yes. <laughs> The best Chinese food in the city have to be Three Happiness. Which is in? Three Happiness is in the segment of the city that's called Chinatown. Yes. The cool thing is that Three Happiness is also open late night as well. Very late. So we're talking if you want to have duck fried rice at 3 a.m. And yes, they do have duck fried rice, you guys. As well as? Egg rolls. The best egg rolls that you've ever had in your entire life. I'm just saying, cotton candy, forget it, gold. We want them egg rolls. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm doing Tootsie Roll right now, just thinking about <laughs> egg rolls, baby. So if you want the best egg rolls that you've ever laid waste to, seriously, at 3 a.m., there's no better place to go than the 3 Happiness. Um, they're open um, late night, as I said before. You can order duck fried rice. In fact, if you order anything off the menu besides the egg rolls, please order the duck fried rice. It will literally change your mind forever about fried rice. It is so good. Um, and the people are super, super cool. We've gone there many a time where we've road trip over there. So can't recommend them enough. Yeah. And trust me, there you will have, you will be amongst friends. We'll say that because <laughs> I've seen some people who, you know, definitely have money. That will literally show up in this little hole in the wall, like Ralph the Cermak, that being Three Happiness, along with some people, and this is just right down the street from, let's say, UC and UIC in terms of schools, 
So you'll be in there with uh, college kids who may be sober, who will definitely enjoy their meals. We'll say that. Now, if you're hankering for fried chicken, in Chicago, there's only one place to go, and that's Harold's Chicken Shack. So there's multiple locations all throughout Chicago. Um, It originally on the Chicago South Side, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Um, But how would you describe Harold's Chicken? Damn good chicken. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's spirited, good, crunchy, fun chicken. It is absolutely amazing. Um... So it's kind of part of the, you know, the South Side and South Side culture. It's spread throughout the rest of the city. Um, If you go to Harold's Chicken, do yourself a favor, get it with the fries and get mild sauce on it. Mild sauce on the fries is as Chicago as the Sears Tower. (laughs) Willis Tower. It's Sears. Look, that's our story and we're sticking to it. No one in Chicago calls it Willis. <laughs> and if you're not familiar, mild sauce is kind of like a unique sauce that's unique to Chicago, kind of like what Mambo sauce is to um, D.C. Um, but yeah, you can get mild sauce on everything, on chicken, on sandwiches, on fries. But yeah, get it on the fries. It's Seriously, you'll think it's for us later. <laughs> Oh, they're good. Yes. Now, if you're hankering for some ribs, and I say ribs separate from Chicago, (laughs) from barbecue, and we laugh. (laughs) The best place to actually get ribs in Chicago is actually a place called Pork Chops. And there's several locations, but you'll want to go to the Pork Shop in Hyde Park. And the reason why you go is deep fried ribs. (laughs) How much for one rib? I just need one rib. So I know what you're thinking, right? Deep fried ribs, right? Deep, deep, deep fried. We're we're talking the deepest of fried ribs. <laughs> Almost crispy. <laughs> I just as a side note, I was familiar, uh, made familiar of these ribs years ago um, when I started my work um, in the culinary um, media and culinary event industry. I used to work for a brand that was called Dish Crawl. And they their whole idea behind Dish Crawl, it was a startup company that really advocated for building relationships through food. And so one of the things I used to do is I used to host um, foodie events and I would do food crawls, introducing people to separate or just different restaurants throughout the area. Yeah, so they're not around anymore, so I don't think we need to give them pub. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point I'm trying to make is a lot of my dish crawl events were at pork chops, and the most popular thing on the menu is the fried rib. Now, this is the part of the podcast where we give a disclaimer that the Gourmet Goober podcast is not responsible for your health. <laughs> don't send your health bills to us. <laughs> we are not Blue Cross Blue Shield. Is eating the fried rib healthy? Probably not. No. In fact, the first time I made fried rib based on, I loved it so much, I asked them for the recipe and they gave it to me. <laughs> and so when I made it for Big Daddy, your words to me were. Yeah, you know, this is a damn good rib. I really like it. Don't ever make it again. <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever had in my life. Please don't make this for me again. I want to live. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm not saying eat it every day. But if you're only in Chicago once, do yourself a favor. Eat the fried rib. 
Yeah, take a stab at it. Just eat him once. And now, God have mercy on your colon. Yes. <laughs> now, the best barbecue in Chicago. Notice we said barbecue suffered from ribs. Mm-hmm. The best barbecue actually isn't in Chicago at all. But it, it's an extended area of Chicago we like to call Chicago Man. And that is a place that is in Gary, Indiana. Also in Hammond. Yes, also in Hammond. But if you really want to hit the original, you want to go to the one in Gary. You're up my brothers in GI. <laughs> Ride the die, bro. Yes, but it's a restaurant called Big Daddy's Barbecue. And so Big Daddy, um, if that name sounds familiar to you, if you're a fan of the old Steve Harvey show, that's because Big Daddy was actually featured on the Steve Harvey show several times when he used to film in Chicago. In fact, whenever Steve Harvey had a cookout, he would actually bring in Big Daddy over to his house to personally barbecue for him. And mm-hmm. the reason is pretty obvious. His barbecue is seriously slap your mama good. It is it was, that delicious. It was like slap your grandmama good. <laughs> it's like go back in time and slap your ancestors good. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, grandmama might slap you back. But you can get everything from turkey legs to rib tips to hot links, chicken, brisket, pulled pork, he serves everything. And if get them you, turkey tips. And if you go... Sometime during the day, you may actually see Big Daddy yourself. So, definitely, there's two locations in Northwest Indiana. It's just right over the border. But we would recommend that you go to the one in Gary. It's so worth the trip, and the food is delicious. Yeah, no shade to Hammond. It just happened to be when they're Gary, so that's where we're picking. <laughs> exactly. So, where is the best place to get dessert within the city of Chicago? I think you told The best place to get dessert okay i was a fan one of the first places i took the goober when she came to chicago was we visited this little place on the near west side called margie's which was like margie's candy but they serve all kind of dessert dishes yes so they are known primarily for their homemade ice cream they have like huge ice cream sundaes you can get milkshakes it's all delicious all amazing so, seriously, if you stay within the city, the best place to get desserts is definitely Margie's. But, again, if you're already over the border anyway and hitting up Big Daddy's for barbecue, might I recommend a couple places that you can go and grab dessert while you're there. Okay. One place, if you want to try the best cupcakes anywhere in Chicagoland, I'm telling you, there's a little place in Valparaiso, and also there's one in Cherville, Indiana, that's called Designer Desserts. Designer desserts, I recommend them to anyone. First of all, they have a wide selection of just incredible flavors and unique combinations with their cupcakes. Two, their cupcakes are huge. (laughs) So none of these little itty-bitty cupcakes that you get for a couple dollars, but they're moist, they're delicious, they're really, really incredible, and the people who own designer desserts couldn't be nicer. So I definitely recommend them. But they also have other things, too, including what's the cookie that you like so much? Every time we go, you have to get one. Okay, so most people would. The first thing you see is like the Snickerdoodle cookies, which are extremely tasty. But Big Daddy, this dude right here, that dude always goes for a unicorn poop cookie. (laughs) And trust me, I I could go in there a couple times if my sugar allows me. To get a unicorn poop cookie. Yes, and I know it sounds weird to get a cookie called a unicorn poop cookie, 
But trust me, you want the unicorn poop cookie. <laughs> it's a big old cookie. <laughs> and it's tasty, too. Now, while you're over the border, if you get a hankering for donuts, the best place to get donuts in all of Chicagoland, there's actually two. Now, if you want donuts with really unique flavors, the place to go is this little place in Crown Point, Indiana, that's called Kim Shaw, Do- Kim Shaw 13 Donuts. And they are great for a couple reasons. One, the people who own the donut shop, they are really super cool, right? And it's not just a donut shop. It's a comic book shop, too. So when you go, first of all, the donut shop is in an old bank vault. So when you walk in, they have, like, comic book gear galore. Their bathroom entryway is shaped like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. But if you go on weekends, they'll actually open up the bank vault. There's an actual physical vault. And you open it up, and some of the most iconic comic books that any collector would ever want, it's behind the vault. Yes. But even if you're not a nerd like me who loves comic books, go for the donuts. Seriously, they have these amazing donuts, including um, my favorite are the filled donuts. So you know how when you get a donut and it's filled with jelly or whatever, and usually it's like a circle-shaped donut where you can actually go in and get just like a little bit of jelly. No, they make it in an eclair shape, and then they slice the donut, so every bite you get jelly or the filling. It is totally worth it. Yes. So I'm more of a Kimshaw 13 person, but if you're like Big Daddy and you like the more traditional donut, then the place to go is? Um, Monster Donuts, which is right at the Illinois-Indiana border. Last way is way, the Monster Donuts is a... Uh... It's your traditional, like, let's say, little small bakery entryway. And it's right off of Calumet Avenue. That being said, it's, when you go in there any time of day or night, for the most part, you go in there, you can find a good selection of donuts and little donut pops. These are very, very tasty donuts. And they're made by really hardworking people from the region. That being said... <laughs> we're laughing because if you go to Monster Donuts, just as a side note, you kind of go at your own risk. Not to say that this would happen, but Monster Donuts have had the (laughs) misfortune of, what, twice in the last five years having a car drive through its front door? Yeah, unfortunately, there's some old lady or someone with a medical condition has put the restaurant in peril from time to time. I mean, it's a good place to get coffee, but... Sometimes, uh, yeah, it may have met unfortunate circumstances. But, yes, as far as we know, it is still up and thriving. And <laughs> you can definitely go and get good fresh donuts yes. any time of day. So, disclaimer, go at your own risk. But it's a local institution. So, we do recommend it. Yeah. And then, lastly, if you're in Chicago, you couldn't get into the the Legends brunch that is held every um, Sunday morning during the NBA All-Star game. Don't fret. There's actually two really great places that we recommend that you go in for brunch. Deuces. One is Ann Sather's. There's several locations throughout Chicago. On um, the north side, mostly. Yes. Um, although I do believe there's one in Belmont and other places. Okay. The really cool thing about Ann Sather's is you go in and it's a restaurant with um, it's a lot of Swedish-style um, menu breakfast items. Yes. But you really go to Ann Sather's for the ginormous... Um, cinnamon rolls. 
They are very good cinnamon rolls. They are insanely good cinnamon rolls. They're as big as your head. Yes. Mm, <laughs> Literally. Donuts. <laughs> donuts and cinnamon rolls. Yes. So do yourself a favor. Grab some Insather. Um, They have incredible coffee. It's Swedish coffee as well. So all the benefits of going to Ikea with much better food and not so long getting in and out of it. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you are are not able to get an in Sather's. There's this little place in Humble Park that I would recommend going for breakfast as well. It's called Nellie's. So Nellie's is kind of an institution in Humble Park. It's a Puerto Rican style restaurant, so they serve really great food. In fact, if you go for lunch, I would highly recommend the Ivorito sandwich, which is another sandwich that's unique to Chicago. So what it is, basically, it's you can get it with steak, you can get it with chicken base, you can get it with all sorts of different proteins. But the real reason to eat the Ivorito is instead of bread, it's actually plantains that's used as the bun, fried plantains. So good. And they have some of the best Ivorito sandwiches that I've ever had since coming to Chicagoland. But the real reason to go to Nelly's, particularly if you go for breakfast, is they have something that's called a coconut oatmeal. And people come from all around the city to this little shop in Humble Park just for the coconut oatmeal. Hmm. So if you're so inclined, stop by. Or you know what? You can get it anytime. They, it's so popular, they stop serving it just for breakfast and they serve it all, all day long. Nice. This yeah. is going to make Goober approved. <laughs> so we hope that you will enjoy your time in Chicago while you're here. Um, we welcome everyone who's coming to our backyard for the All-Star Game. If you could hook us up with tickets to the All Saints game, let us just know. <laughs> if you can at least hook us up with you no know, tickets to Kenny Smith's party, <laughs> definitely yeah. let us just know. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I've heard this party is epic. <laughs> it's kind of like a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of party. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you can hook me up with like you know a meeting with Charles Barkley, so I can figure out how to get this accent better, <laughs> I'll listen also. Well, you know what, I may be able to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell the story later. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> there's a story. Apparently, he actually visited recently our nonprofit that I work for. And that's all I'm going to say. What? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're wrapping up this segment of What's Eating Us. So when we come back, we will talk about the best thing we ate this week. And wrapping up the show. And until then, you're listening to The Gourmet Goober. We'll be right back. Hey, Gooberland. This is JJ Outlaw, better known as The Gourmet Goober. Do you consider yourself gumberworthy? Maybe you are a little bit gourmet and a lot ratchet. Well, if so, tell the world what your very own goober gear. From aprons and mugs to t-shirts and hoodies, it's the perfect way to support our show while telling the world that you're part of Gooberland. So just head over to gooberswag.com, that's gooberswag.com, and get your very own goober gear now. Hey everyone, we are back. This is JJ Outlaw and T Outlaw with the Gourmet Goober Podcast. And we are wrapping things up this week as we do every week by sharing the best thing we ate this week. And that's where we share the restaurants, whether it be the chain restaurants one at a time, um, hole in the walls, the diners, um, (laughs) the pop-up places, 
that just really serves some incredible food that we think that you should know more about. And as always, we're going to put in the show notes so where you can find it yourself. Um, one thing I do want to point out before we get started is we named a lot of restaurants and places to go. And so what we're going to do in order to our show notes not be like a million lines on this week is we're also going to put a link to our website where you can actually check out, again, some of our recommendations of what you can eat while you're in Chicago for All-Star Weekend. So we just wanted to give you that as a heads up as well. And as always, we start this segment with Big Daddy. So Big Daddy, what was the best thing you ate since we last recorded? Uh, Oh, damn. What you know we're gonna ask. Yeah, I know, and I always. <laughs> have, I'm trying to remember what was the best thing I ate the previous two weeks. To my knowledge, the best thing I can tell you this time around was I had a pickup. I on the way to work one day in the city of Chicago. I was for the ability to go and pick up, of all things, a pastrami sandwich. Wait, I thought you didn't like pastrami. Pastrami's pastrami, you know. <laughs> it was like a Reuben, you know. It was a very good Reuben. I always learn new things about you in this segment. <laughs> yeah, I know. But generally, they were always, most of the time, they're sandwiches. And so this time, it was it was a, uh, a very nice pastrami, like Reuben. But it came from a a nice little Chicago restaurant that is kind of understated, you know, with all, as we spoke about with the All-Star Game, like, you know, all the big steakhouses and places, all the nice little bougie spots. Um, there was this place, I believe it's on um, Kenzie or Wells, and the name of it is actually the Kenzie Steakhouse, or I'm sorry, is actually the Kenzie Chop House. Uh, should be on... Three or four hundred North Wells, and it's they have a lot of nice, you know, as you would say, steakhouse like options. I went in for the lunch option, and as a carryout, ordered a very nice, expensive pastrami sandwich with um, the sauerkraut like dressing. Um, it was, of course, on a nice marble rye style bread. I mean, this was a very decadent, very kind of moist layer. And, I mean, the cheese was good. The fries were decent. And, hey, it came from the Kenzie Chop House, so it must be good. So, yes, the Kenzie uh, Chop House pastrami and Reuben was, to my knowledge, the best thing I ate this week. All right, I'm thrown for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't know you like sauerkraut. I didn't really like like say I like <laughs> sauerkraut, but on the pastrami, it was uh, very tasty. We'll say that. Yeah, because I have tried to get you to eat sauerkraut and pastrami, and you've not in the past. So now I know I just need to get it from them. <laughs> yes, but at the same time, yeah, like the pastrami was very good, and it actually made the sauerkraut, which I'm not a fan of. Actually, a nice little add to the sandwich. We'll they also have a very nice, like, lamb ciabatta sandwich, too, but I was I only had a taste of that. I Like I said, I learn new stuff about you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all 
But then again, I got you to eat pho the other day, so you never know. Both uh, pho, pho, um, there was some stuff in my room, yeah. Well, the best thing I ate this week is actually something that I'm so excited to tell everybody about. And just to kind of give you some background, for people who know me, one of the things that people need to know is how obsessed I am with French food. Yes, she is. I love French food. I love to eat it. I love to cook it. Um, There are certain things that I love, um, French food items that I love, like a good beef bouillon. I love, you know, a good coquevin. Um, There is this sandwich called a croque monsieur that there's a place in Chicago that makes a croque monsieur that is so delicious that anytime I walk in the door, that's all I want. And it's to the point now that when I show up, they kind of look at me and like, oh, she wants to cook, Monsieur. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and have her make it. <laughs> so let me guess this, like, no, no American ass, like croak your mama. You know what? There is a croak madame. That's the difference between a croak monsieur and a croak madame is a croak madame has a egg on top and the croak monsieur is... Basically what it is, it's a really fancy ham and cheese sandwich, but it's topped with this bechamel sauce that try as I might, I can't make it as <laughs> good at this restaurant. But that is not what I'm telling you is the best thing I ate this week. Okay. So I think I've shared before, I work in Wicker Park. I've been taking public transportation more. And as I go on my way every morning on the bus, I pass this little restaurant called Toulouse. And it's French for every day. And what it is, this sounds insane, but believe it or not, it's a Korean-French fusion bakery. I'm sorry, repeat that? It is a Korean-French bakery. Korean-French bakery. Yes. It sounds a little bougie. <laughs> so get this, right? It started, believe it or not, in South Korea in 1997. Today, they have over 300, no, 1,300 locations in both Asia and in the United States. And in Chicago, I think they have three locations. But what I'm talking to you guys about today, and again, I'll put the restaurant location in the show notes, is the first location which opened up in Wicker Park. So, Tillichieux, again, it is a Korean-French fusion restaurant. So... What happened was last week I had a meeting that I went to um, for the nonprofit. It was a networking meeting with some other partner organizations. And as I made my way back to the office, I actually had an hour to kill before I was supposed to clock in. And I thought, dude, I have time to go to this place. So I found my place way to this restaurant. I was greeted by this incredible Barisa, and I just want to give her a shout out because she was amazing. Her name is Lauren. Um, my understanding is she just started not that long ago at the place, but she was incredible. I explained that I really love French food, and this is my first time walking in. She walked me through the whole place. They have everything from traditional fish food, fish food, <laughs> French food like macaroons and things like that. They actually did have a croque monsieur sandwich. But that's not what I wound up getting. Um, as I was going to the store, first of all, they have incredible samples laid out. 
So there's no guessing if you want to buy something for yourself. They have little bite size samples. Mm -hmm. Um, I wound up getting uh, several items. One, while I was there, I got something that was called a flour sausage pastry. And I got it based on Lauren's suggestion. So, okay, this is going to sound insane. (laughs) I'm going to describe it. If you follow me on Instagram, you can actually see a picture of it. Trust me when I tell you this. We've talked about umami before, which is something that kind of hits all the the senses when you eat it. So you get sweet and savory. Um, You get all of that um, basically in every bite of this flour sausage pastry. And just with the mouthfeel and the crunchiness, and it's it's just good. But what it is, it's um, a flaky pastry topped with um, savory sage sausage franks. Um, it has pizza sauce. Believe it or not, it's covered in ketchup. <laughs> like I said, it sounds crazy, but Lauren, crazy. but Lauren's like, look, try it. You will absolutely love it. So I got that to eat there. And then I also picked up a spoon and bowl cake that they have. Um, it's a chocolate strawberry spoon and bowl cake. And then I also picked up this thing that's called a kimchi croquette. Kimchi croquette. Right. And the kimchi croquette, um, it's like a little baked bun, right? Mm-hmm. And it's covered on the outer layer of this baked bun and peco panko crumbs right okay and then inside it's stuffed with kimchi which i've spoken about in the podcast before i'm obsessed with kimchi and then they also have the kimchi blended in this paste that also contained sweet potato glass noodles okay so again sounds a little out of the ordinary yes but let me tell you oh my god i have been dreaming about this croquette and this flour pastry ever since I had it earlier last week. As far as the flour sausage pastry, it was incredible. Oh, I cannot say enough good things about it. Like I said, the umami was there. You get the pleasure of biting into like the sausage and warm sausage and the flaky crust. It was really substantial. Um, so you could just have it. It's a, you know, a light meal or a light lunch like I did. Um, but the kimchi croquette, oh my God, it was so good. All I heard was kimchi. I thought it was good. <laughs> and for those of you who are afraid of eating kimchi, because kimchi can have a little bit of a bite. No, this was very mild because of how it was blended in with the sweet potato noodles. Mm-hmm. But when you bite into it, like, the panko crust on the outer layer gave such a satisfying crunch. And it was, it was amazing. It was sincerely some of the best thing if I've not only eaten this week, but probably this year. <laughs> and I loved it so much. I literally was like corresponding with them on social media, like, oh my God, please tell me what's in this croquette so I can share it with everybody. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool little place and I truly recommend trying it. Um, they have some traditional French food. They have some really great fusion, but so far you can't go wrong. Not only for the 
the food, but also the experience. And hopefully you'll get a chance to meet some of the crew that works there, including Lauren. And I, I can't recommend it enough. It really was a great experience. And I was glad I came in. And the only bad thing about it is now that I know it exists and how good it is, and my bus passes it every day, so I'm going to have to come up with a way to not stop in every day. <laughs> oh, goody. You create a monster. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should eat a kimchi croquette every day, but I will probably be thinking of ways to try. <laughs> but it's different than, like, let's say a salmon. Yes, it's much different than a salmon croquette. Okay. <laughs> and checking. one other thing for those of you who are listening, um, it's vegetarian. So that's good to know as well. So I know sometimes people reach out and say, hey, do you ever recommend vegetarian choices? No. This is one that I personally can recommend. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you for listening to another episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. Where can they find you online? Uh, once again, you can find me on Twitter at Tioutlaw and on Instagram at Tioutlaw. Josie Wells. You can find me on Twitter at JJ Outlaw, and you can also find me at Gourmet Goober on Instagram. Please drop us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com if you have any questions. On behalf of Big Daddy and I, thank you for listening, and until next week, or until next time, rather, happy eating. Happy eating. <laughs>